At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, everyone, to the From the Shadows podcast. I'm your host, Shane Grove, and uh, thanks for joining us for this episode. Uh, I want to give a quick update on Jason, the super producer, uh, for all those loyal fans and listeners who have been following along. I actually got to speak to Jason Friday for a little bit, and um, now I, I realize everybody doesn't know the extent of what he was going through, but uh, one of the... Uh, one of the results of of him being ill was he basically lost the ability to walk. Um, so he is going through some intensive physical therapy so he can uh, so he's able to do that again. And and he was actually very uh, very kind of excited to tell me that he had walked up to the second story of his house with uh, nothing but the gar- with the handrail to help. So which is it's kind of stunning to hear uh, a guy that I've known for years who is you know was one of the toughest strongest dudes around mentally and physically um, feel very blessed to just be able to walk up the walk up the steps and he's worked very hard to get to that point so uh, so you know it the times are tough for everybody, but when you really sit back and think about how blessed we all are, um, you know, just getting up every day is a blessing. And uh, to talk and hear Jason feel blessed that he's just able to do something that we all take for granted because, in a, you know, blink of an eye, it was taken away from him, basically. So um, 
but he told me again to tell everybody thank you for all the support and well wishes and prayers. He definitely thinks that's uh, what's pushing him through, and he's he's excited. He's been listening to the episodes, and he's excited to get back on, and uh, hopefully in the next week or two um, when we do a recording that uh, fits with his his schedule, he could jump on and uh, at least say hi or something. So. So uh, keep them in your prayers. So before we uh, before we bring our guest on, I just want to remind everybody that uh, if you have a sighting or encounter or story you want to share with me, um, please find us on the From the Shadows podcast Facebook page or our After the Shadows forum page, uh, which is on Facebook, and send us a message. You can find me on Shane Grove Author Instagram or from the shadows podcast instagram page and send us a message um the website if you have sent us a message on the website we're not sure we're getting them our website guy is investigating this right now something seems to be wrong with the contact link so uh, you could try you could try it and but you know send me a message another way and let me know if you've uh, sent a message that way it does not appear to be working but our website guy uh he's 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 really getting on and trying to trying to figure it out so we can uh, fix that problem. Um, so I have a really cool guest. Um, and if you guys, uh, cause I know a lot of our listeners have gone to some, you know, you guys go to Bigfoot conventions, Bigfoot shows, you listen to other, uh, um, listen to other uh, podcasts and uh, YouTube channels. Um, Joining us today is uh, Joe Purdue. He is the uh, one of the owners of a really cool, uh, I guess, merchandise, uh, Bigfoot merchandising uh, company called Wild and Weird West Virginia, um, which, listen, I think that goes without saying that West Virginia is wild and weird. I don't know that it needs to be in the title, but I appreciate it. Um, but, uh, and he also is, uh, one of the hosts of wild and weird radio. So Joe, welcome to the, uh, welcome to the show. What's going on, Shane. It's a pleasure to be on with you, man. I'm, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm glad you're on with us too. And, and I always like to poke a little fun at West Virginia and it's all because of Bo Kennedy, uh, the, host <laughs> of the bump podcast. He, yeah, uh, Bo's I, a good friend of mine. Yes, I, I love Bo. I love his show. He's he's a he's become a, a good friend of mine too. And uh, I think he just has a sixth sense that every time I poke at West Virginia, he feels it. So any chance I get <laughs> to do that, I, I you know. But it's all in fun. Uh, West Virginia is a, a beautiful, beautiful state. And um, but man, it's got some crazy, crazy stories come out of West Virginia. So, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, so Joe, let let's let's get in and 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 share with the listeners your, you know, before we get into the cool stuff you do today with uh, with the wild, weird West Virginia stuff. Let let's kind of let's kind of get into your to your story on how you even got into the the whole Bigfoot thing. Sure, sure, yeah. So, um, I had a uh, a what. Well, what the BFRO would consider a class A sighting. Um, now I'm going to paint the picture for your listeners. <clears throat> so that way they can kind of visualize the environment. 
And that way I don't have to cut back and forth in the story because sometimes when I'm telling the story, it can get kind of choppy uh, because I'm trying to describe the layout of the land. So in Appalachia, when they do clear cutting, uh, if any of your listeners are from the Pacific Northwest, it's very similar to the timber timbering there is how they do it here. They only timber uh, about a quarter of the mountain at a time. So that way they don't have to deal with landslides and erosions as much. So there was a section of this mountain that had been clear cut and I lived on the other side of the next mountain over. So this clear cut had become a a favorite hunting spot for me over the years uh, when I was growing up and and I'd frequented the area literally multiple times a year, Um, sometimes multiple times a week because, you know, I I grew up out in rural West Virginia um, and it, there's not a whole lot to do. So if you're not spending time out in the woods, uh, you're sitting at home and not doing a whole lot of anything because this was back right when the internet was new. So there wasn't a whole lot on the internet to go do at the time. This is 2001. So uh, this, this area that I would go hunt, there was a massive stand of mountain laurels or rhododendron, whatever you want to call them. And I would hunker down in those and use those as a natural hunting blind. And I had full view of a couple of the terraces um, that were on the the mountain next door. And uh, that's where I would hunt from. I would watch. I had a clear shot. Um, You know, it it was a great little spot. Well, uh, it was the weekend after Labor Day of 2001. And it's still squirrel season, so I've got my 22 with me, and I, I take my four-wheeler up to the top of the mountain, and I walk the rest of the way down, because I don't want to make too much noise going down. I want to, uh, you know, because I like to just go in there and, and spot, and uh, it's called glassing in the hunting community, and I, I just wanted to get down there and kind of observe and watch and see if I could just see anything going on, because there wasn't a whole lot going on that weekend. And uh, so anyway... I parked the four-wheeler below the crest of the mountain so that way none of the audio would really permeate down into the next valley. And I went over the ridge and started my descent down the mountain into my little hunting spot. Well, just before I made it into my hunting spot, I saw something huge. It was really, really dark. I got excited because I'm like, oh, here's a black bear. I'm going to get to watch a black bear for a little bit. That's going to be fantastic. So I, I make my way pretty quick into my little hunting area i get down into the the laurels make my way in nice and quiet i've got a really well-worn pathway into there because i used it so often so all the leaf litter was really kind of trampled down i wasn't stepping on fresh leaves it was pretty muted and uh so i get i get myself in position i'm looking and instantly i see this one little thing that is absolutely not a bear uh maybe around my guesstimate is four and a half to five feet tall um, and it, it was a small, the only thing that we have, uh, it, you know, in, in the community in, in, uh, as far as research and whatnot goes is this is a, a young Bigfoot. But then I look just above it right below the tree line where the, the living trees are still at, where they're still standing. And here is this large dark mass and it, it's slapping a log. Uh, I can barely hear it. I can barely hear the impacts on the log. And it looks to be scraping 
at the log. Uh, my guess now is that it was, you know, digging for grubs because this was an old left behind tree. Um, I look immediately to its right and probably about 10 yards below it, there was another, what I call it like a medium sized creature. And it, it was standing there and it looked like it was just foraging. And it wasn't, I, I said standing, but it was kind of hunched over because um, it was just digging at the hillside. Um, but I could see the extension of its leg and I could see uh, it, later it would just kind of haunch down and just sit where its butt wasn't quite on the ground, but it was just, you know, on its feet, just hunkered all the way down as low as it could get and just kind of digging at the ground. Well, the little one captured my attention the most. I, I was fixated on it because it was actually playing like a little toddler. Um, you, if anybody's ever had kids and you go to a park and you just kind of let the toddler take off, you know, they're going to be running around acting crazy um, and just just jumping and, and carrying on. And I was enamored by this thing. Now, this whole time, I had the wind to my favor. The wind was blowing to my face. I didn't smell anything off. Nothing was weird. Uh, and then suddenly the wind changes and everything I was observing completely changed very rapidly because the largest one closest to the tree line stood up. And when it stood up, I realized exactly how big this thing was and how small it made me seem. So I was, I was watching it and it turned, it kind of turned its upper body um, maybe about a quarter of a turn and it turned its head just a hair and it raised its head like it was almost sniffing the air, but I don't know if it was sniffing the air or if it had made a, um, some kind of a, a sound that I was unable to hear, but clearly these other two creatures could hear because they responded to whatever movement, whatever audio that this thing produced and they moved immediately to it. And once they caught up to the big one, they walked off together into the forest and, and it was just as quiet and peaceful as could be. I couldn't hear hardly anything, but maybe a, a twig snap here or there as, as they moved into the tree line and then disappeared out of view. Um, I sat there and watched them until I could not see them anymore because the last thing I wanted to do was to draw attention to myself. Um, because I wasn't sure what these things were going to do, uh, but I sure didn't want to find out if they were going to be aggressive. So I waited till I couldn't see them anymore. And then uh, after um, my butt had unclenched, <laughs> <laughs> I made my way to my feet and took off up the hill, got back to my four wheeler and uh, went back home and just kind of sat there in disbelief of what I just experienced. Now, uh, and how, so how far away did you think you were for the, for these well, creatures? Uh, at, the at first I thought that I was a little bit farther away than what I actually was. Um, and, and this is where visual survey can kind of, uh, this is the researcher in me coming out. Okay. <laughs> the, yeah. Visual survey can kind of be difficult to judge sometimes. Um, especially if you're, you're with somebody who, uh, or talking to somebody who hasn't been active in, uh, a range finding skill, like say bow hunting or, um, being a military trained, uh, sniper assist or, or something that, I, that effect where you're, you were particularly skilled at 
discerning range. Um, I thought that I was uh, farther away. I thought that it was closer to 100 yards or so, but it was actually within 70 yards of me. Uh, because the next year, I, I didn't have the, the gumption to get back out there that year because I was just too unnerved. And I didn't want to get out there and start looking around. And then all of a sudden, these things come out of the woods at me and be like, hey, why are you here? Um, so it took me about a year, a uh, little bit more than a year maybe, um, to to go back up. And I waited until all the trees were off. So it, it was probably just a little over a year. I think it was the following November um, that I, I waited till all the, the, the leaves were off the trees. And I had clear, clear view. Because in September here in... Uh, in Appalachia, all your leaves are still on and heavy and thick. So um, I made my way out to that same spot. And the big one walked by a uh, a log. And that's where I gauged everything off of this log. The, the log was within 70 yards of where I was, um, I guess you could say, perched at from my little hunting area. And everything else was within that 70 yard range. And, um, then the, the smallest one was actually within 40 yards of me. The one that was playing, it was the closest one to me. Cause I think that it was actually down messing around in the Creek that was running between the mountains there at one point, And then it moved its way up. Um, cause there was a little stream there that, that also kind of helps mute everything as you're moving in. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was it, it was pretty impressive uh, and even more unnerving when I made it out there to actually do a measurements to see where I was at, um, because the largest creature, when it walked past this stump, its knee was above the stump. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got you. And when I went out to the stump, the stump was a good four or five inches above my knee and I'm six foot three. So, so yeah, you're, you know, I get you. Yeah. <laughs> I get, yeah, that's pretty yeah. I was, uh, I was a little at that point I was like, Oh man, this thing was bigger than what I thought closer than what I thought. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was a trip, man. And that kind of, I, I set back cause I had various professional, um, very, very professional, uh, careers, after that, you know, I went in the military after that and, uh, it, I was in the air force and, uh, I was a sheet metal fabricator. And the, one of the last things that you're going to go do in the air force is talk about some weird, strange experience you had, because that will immediately get you sent to, <laughs> to uh, go talk you know, to except, except nowadays. The, oh yeah. The military yeah, seems like the group, like a, yeah, it seems like a gold mine for for Bigfoot, yep. UFO, uh, ghosts. Uh, I mean, it seems like a, I mean that's where some of the best stories come from, for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know when when we when I was in the Air Force, I never actually saw anything in the sky or anything. Um, but I was on this this crew that was called a Red Ball Team, and um, what we did at that one point with with this specific because I was only on it for a short period of time was uh, we traveled with the specific aircraft that we were assigned to. Um, and I was the fabricator for that aircraft for, for the mission it was running. And, um, but we never saw anything, but one of the things that was actually said, and this was a huge red flag for me that like, cause it, I, I had already seen Bigfoot, right? Yeah. But 
I wasn't really big into UFOs or anything like that. I loved the X-Files. I thought it was great, but I wasn't like, oh, yeah, UFOs, it's aliens. They're coming to get us or whatever. But uh, it, it didn't really, I guess, cross my mind to take it serious at all um, until when uh, we were getting a debrief. And they said, if you saw anything in the air, don't talk about it. You didn't see anything in the air. And I was like, the only reason people would say that is if somebody actually saw something. <laughs> Yeah, it's the um, same. It's the same as, uh, you know, this coffee may be too hot to drink, or right, don't, right. It's the warning labels drink. on the on the Q-tips. <laughs> don't, don't use in your ear. <laughs> don't drink the bleach. Yeah. Why would you have to tell? Well, because somebody did. Somebody yep. did drink the bleach. Yeah, somebody, exactly. Somebody did, and uh, so that I kind of put two and two together there myself. But I, like I said, I never had any weird experiences when I was in the military, other than, um, other than like stuff that I might have like handled or here and there but it, it wasn't anything like too crazy um it might have been it might have been classified it just wasn't paranormal right wasn't right right absolutely yeah. okay yeah you got you so um so then uh i went from there and i was actually a minister for uh several years as well um it, it was uh i was doing that alongside of my other career that i was working in as a chef um and uh that's another career. That's <laughs> another, uh, or cause it wasn't a career. I wasn't getting paid for any of that stuff. Um, for, for being a ministry, it was, it was all volunteer work. And, uh, it, it was another one of those fields where you just don't talk about that kind of topic. You don't talk about UFOs. You don't talk about Bigfoot or, you know, you don't, it's not one of the things you do unless like somebody would come up to me. And I, it did happen one time. I did have one um, one person in the uh, in the congregation at one point, like they were really shook up. They had a Bigfoot encounter and uh, it kind of broke their paradigm. You know, mm-hmm. every everything they had thought to be true at that point had just been upended. And uh, now there's something out there that's unexplained that they can't uh, fathom you know, and it's right in front of their face. So they were having some issues dealing with how to process that. So I was like, okay, I'll tell this person, Hey, look, I don't think you're crazy. And here's why. And I told him the same story. I just told you guys. Well, and there's a, um, I mean, that to me seems a little, uh, the whole, like the religious aspect of, why people wouldn't feel comfortable talking about that because the whole basis of religion is we're believing in something that for most of us can't, we can't really touch or, right. Or see it's, it's, it's nothing but faith of something that we believe is going to happen. And we're talking about a lot of paranormal things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Bible and that, and that's... is full of paranormal. It, what you would, if, okay. If the, if the dead, if the seed, you know, parted today, it'd be a paranormal experience. Absolutely. You know, if, uh, if, if you heard a voice from heaven come down, I mean, that's a paranormal, that's how we would classify it today in the Bible. They're classified as religious experiences, you know, divine intervention, so to speak. So, um, I mean, the Bible is probably the, was probably the first paranormal, uh, uh, case study. That yeah. was ever you're, you're not ever wrong. put in the print. I mean. <laughs> you're not wrong. Um, there were so many bizarre stories in the Bible, but the 
the parishioners, the congregants, the the believers are so focused. I guess because there's uh, there's this stigma, like like you said, where it is this unseeable, untouchable God, and um, they're already dealing with that aspect of having to try to make that make sense to other people. Mm-hmm. That if you throw Bigfoot on top of that, then it's like, oh, okay, where's the Kool Aid at? Where, well, I gotta, where's the table I gotta be, with the Kool Aid? <laughs> I gotta be, I gotta be honest though. If if you're go- there is a lot of people that will say, uh, and there's a lot of people that don't, you know, that don't believe in in God the way Christians do, and um, but if you're gonna say this is what I believe in as far as Christianity and, and, and God and stuff. But then say, well, there's no, but there's no such thing as ghosts or Bigfoot or UFOs. It is kind of disingenuous. Oh, it, it then, really is. It, it, I, it, I agree. It, it, I mean, and I understand that you don't, that some people don't believe in that, but it is almost as much a leap of faith. Uh, one compared to the other i mean it just basically it it just basically is and for you to say one thing is definitive and then say well the other stuff's just craziness people are going to look at you like well that don't believe and say well do you realize how crazy your religion sounds to me right you know and 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 i'm not and before everybody out there is going oh my god he doesn't believe in god no i do i just understand there's two points of view (laughs) Well, right. uh, there's Absolutely. more than one point of view, and if you just think your view is absolute and do not consider anybody else's point of view, well, guess what? That's how we get into a lot of the trouble we get into today in the world. Yep, you're exactly <laughs> right. And you know, it, when so. we started uh, Wild and Weird West Virginia, you know, there was there was some flack that I was catching from um, people within the church, and like I, I'm no longer uh, an active minister. We haven't been anywhere for a few years. Um, I kind of stepped away from a lot of the stuff just because I didn't like the direction I saw things going in with different organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I, I was catching a flack when we first started wild and weird, um, because they were like, well, what, why are you're out here doing all this stuff and talking to all these different people and you should be teaching them about God and tell them about this. Cause you've, you've got the education to do it and you should have been doing this, that, and the other. And I'm like, guys, do you not realize that these people are experiencing something that they can't explain already? And they believe something paranormal, something supernatural is occurring in their life. If they don't believe in God, do you realize how close they could be to believing in God? And that I could use this as some form of, Leverage to be like, look, here's how you're going to end, get rid of this. Here's how you can stop this. Here's how you can deal with this and and kind of use my ministerial background as a way to help them cope with what they're experiencing. And then they just kind of look at me like, oh, well, I never thought of it that way. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I, so, so back to your, back to your sighting, because, so I'm not a hunter at all. I don't spend a lot of time out doing that sort of, I mean, I don't spend any time out doing that so when i hear distances you know the way i relate to it is be you know being a former um college football player and coaching basketball now and stuff like that's how i measure distances okay well that's a football field yep. so what so if i'm standing on one end zone how far is 
you know, 70 yards. And like, I'm looking out the window now, as I'm talking to you out, out of our office and I'm looking down a fence row. I, I can't tell how well, far the, something is, you know, it's, it's, I've, lo- I've lost, I've lost that ability to, cause I don't, cause I used to be able to run, I used to run track and, and do hundred meters. I look at that distance now thinking, well, I would die about 30, <laughs> about 30 meters. So it doesn't, you know, it's like, man, how far is that? That seems like a mile, seems like a mile now, a hundred, a hundred well, yards. This, uh, th- the way I measured everything was actually using a um, a uh, a field tape that we had. So I measured ground distance. Okay. Okay. So I was on two mountains, or on one mountain, they were on another mountain, and so unlike looking at a flat plane, we now have to bend this thing upward into a V shape. So there were seventy five yards likely between. Um, well, there were set, there were actual 70, 70 yards between me and the stump, right? Yeah. There was less than that when you take into consideration that the ground is folded vertically in that area. So as far as airspace between me and these things, it was a lot tighter. These were, uh, these were shots that I would have felt very comfortable taking a, uh, shot with a bow with, like say if it was a deer the one that was hunched down digging at the ground was actually digging at an area where I'd had a uh, mineral block at. And that was, uh, okay. that was well within my range of striking uh, a kill shot with an arrow. Now, now, do you believe at any time they saw you or they only knew you were there because they smelled you? Um, I think, I think if the little one saw me or caught wind of me or something before uh, that, it just didn't care. Um, but the other two, they had their backs to me. All I saw was, uh, you know, big, broad shoulders, big back, uh, big back ends of things. I didn't see a frontal view of those. I, saw, I only saw the front of the little guy. And so what, so what, did, what did, um, like the front of the little, little one, did it, what does its face look like to you? It looked more human than anything. Um, it, there was a, a dense, coat of hair um it had the the arms were long uh, this being a younger specimen younger creature was a little bit on the lankier side um so it was had longer gangly arms um down down around to where its knees would be or just below even um from from the waist up made the majority of its height and the waist down, the legs were actually kind of shorter, if that makes sense. Like it was disproportionate in what you would think. Like if you, um, if you were to look at, say, the creatures in uh, Planet of the Apes, the way they're very human proportionate. Okay, I guess this you. thing was not that way. Um, the arms were were longer than our arms would have been. Um, the the distance between the ankle and the shin was weird. Like it's the lower, the lower extremities and lower ever uh, lower body of this little guy just were weird. And as I look back at it more and more and more, just bizarre body structure. Um, almost like it was designed at least in, uh, at least in its young age to move mostly using all fours 
or to be able to transition between all fours and um, two legs at any given moment. And when it was playing, it was doing that. Like it was running around and it was using its arms to grab stuff and pull and it was jumping around and, and, and doing things that actually did a couple cartwheels at one point. Like they weren't perfect cartwheels. You know, it's not like watching a gymnast, but it was the head was it was on its hands and its feet were in the air doing like just kind of a little rolling around goofing off kind of thing. And I mean, and that seems to be kind of a uh, common uh, or description from eyewitnesses about their lower legs that maybe like their where our knees would be are a little bit lower, right? Yeah. Like like whether it gives them a an advantage of maybe walking up hill or something like that or downhill. I don't know. I don't know what the. I'm not a. I'm not well, adverse in kinesiology to the point where I can tell you what the advantage will, but there's, there's gotta be something to it, you know, why right. that's, that's how they are. Right. It, it's uh, and, and that is something that we get a lot in reports. Um, cause as I mentioned earlier, we, I'm now an investigator. Um, the, we take reports from all over the state of West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky. Um, and a lot of the reports when you have good visual survey of the body will give you those bizarre anatomical uh arrangements so it when i and it's also one of those things where as a um investigator when i hear certain stories i'm instantly intrigued or instantly turned off (laughs) because i've seen one um and and i know what at least the ones around here look like and when i hear descriptions that are very similar um then I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> and then when I hear some descriptions that are just wildly off, uh, I'm just kind of like, all right, we're going to add this to the data pool, but keep talking. So you think that from your experience and your research that there's, there definitely look a certain way in a certain area that. Yeah. So everybody always looks at um, Patty. You got the PG film, right? Mm-hmm. And we can't use one specimen as a catch-all. Um, Patty was kind of close to what the second one looked like, but the proportions were a little bit off. Um, but that's going to be something you're going to see in individuals. Uh, you'll see minor individual differences. Like, I'm built differently than you are, and we're both built differently than the guy walking down the street right now. So there, you will see differences in physiology per individual, and you might even see them regionally. Um, you know, if you go down into Florida, uh, I was stationed in Florida for a while, and some of the reports that come out of there, it's like a, a lot more pongan. And by pongan, I mean like orangutan. Their their arms are almost like comically long in relation to their lower extremities, and you also have longer hair and a normally a foul odor but those the foul odor kind of goes hand in hand with the longer hair and living in a very humid uh environment and also swamping environments you're gonna be cruising through nitrate beds that stuff's gonna get stuck in your fur and you know you're gonna smell like death (laughs) so um yeah, there, I think that there are uh, different variations. I don't feel comfortable. I know everybody's probably seen those type one, type two, type threes. 
uh, analysis on Facebook and somewhere floating around online if you're on any of the forums. But um, I don't know how tightly I subscribe to that. But uh, I, I do because once you start really getting too broad, you're almost delving into like um, if you have too many variations, you're now looking at like a subspecies. And I don't think that's what we're dealing with. I don't think we have, and this is just me and my opinion can be like, you know, an armpit or a butthole. Everybody's got one and most of them stink. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think we're dealing with some form of uh, subspecies as much as we are just local variations and just adaptive variations to, to live in their particular environment. Because the ones down south are also normally much shorter in description than some of the ones up north. So you've, yeah. you've got that kind of adaptive changes that occur in their physiology. Yeah. And in to go along with that, if, um, the judge has said quite a few times on here that uh, sometimes eyewitness, eyewitness testimony is not always accurate even even though we believe it to you know we believe it to be and you, right. be, you know it changes in your mind a little bit even right after you see it yes. you know because you so, start start like trying to put it into something that you can rationalize exactly um our minds are very fragile things uh, I actually submitted and wrote an article back in 2016, I believe, to a, uh, a paranormal website, and it was called Malleable Memory. Um, and basically, it detailed the importance of writing down what you saw as close to immediately after you saw it as you can. Because every recall you have of this memory is a recall of the memory, not a recall of the event. Um, you're, you're remembering the memory. You're not remembering the actual events that took place. So my encounter, I actually wrote it down, uh, the day I made it home. Cause I, I did actually, I kept a journal religiously for, for probably the two and a half decades. And, uh, now I, I'm not as active in it. I, I'm, I'm more of a nature journaling kind of guy. Like I go out and make observations and I note those and jot those down, but I'm not writing down my, uh, you know, thoughts or day-to-day -day activities, anything like that. So I came back and I wrote down this report and, um, you know, that's why I can recite it as clearly as I can is because I, I've got it written, you know, and cataloged and it was, it was fresh. And if I sit back and I start to remember and recall this event, my brain, I can catch my brain trying to trick myself into saying something that is not canon so to speak, <laughs> it wasn't actually part of the story. So I always reference the story and, and go directly from it. Um, because that's the earliest detailing. Uh, but our memories are so fallible. Um, it, it's witness testimony is fallible sometimes because the longer amount of span of time that is taking place between point A and point B you are now recalling that memory and it's being pushed through all of your life experiences to that point. So you're filtering that memory and you're, you know, you're remembering it the fondest way you can, or the most, uh, the, the most 
reduced trauma that you experienced, you know, you're not remembering it at its full extent. Our brain does that in a way to protect us sometimes as well. So, oh, I, I, absolutely. I was a lot better looking and a lot more popular with the girls in high school now, 30 years later, right? As I remember back than what I actually ever was. So, yes, I yeah. do. I do. I do. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. And it's not, it, it's not anybody, you know, it's not anybody trying to deceive anybody. It's just, that's just a natural human um, event that takes place with inside. You know, you just kind of. Um, yeah, you can't help it. It's, nope. it's going to happen. If you didn't write it down, you might as well just chalk it up to a good story. So, so speaking of good stories, what, so now that you're more invested in going out and doing some research and following up on other people's stories, what are some of the best uh, cases that you've that you've received and gone out and kind of and kind of followed up on that you're just like, wow, this is something that that is really really impressive. Uh, we have, there's two of them that come to mind instantly. Um, one of them was actually featured on finding Bigfoot's, uh, revival episode that they did. Um, and that was the, uh, the John Tenney encounter. He is a amateur herpetologist. He, he goes out and he does salamander surveys and, um, monitors the migration routes of, uh, the salamanders in the early spring. And normally when I say early spring, I'm talking like, March, April timeframe, because that's when a lot of your salamanders are starting to get moving. Uh, and I'm a master naturalist, so I'm, I'm normally out there doing the same thing. Um, I'm a certified master naturalist. I teach classes for the DNR. So I have a, a, a broad outdoors skill set. And so John, John knew all this stuff and John knew us, uh, for, for several years from a past career that I'd been a part of. And, um, so he reached out immediately because he knew that I was interested in Bigfoot and, um, he, he sent the report and essentially he was, he was out and he was going to a vernal pool and a vernal pool is a big collecting pool of water. They're seasonal. They're not going to last all year round. Um, it, it's just a big, big pool where water, the water table is high in that area. And so all the snow melt and all the rain will accumulate in that one pool and salamanders and frogs and turtles and all that will go crazy in those things. Well, these vernal pools are the exact locations where these salamanders go to breed. So he was going to count and, and do his numbers and species counts as well. And he pulled up to one vernal pool, collected a good bit of data. And he was like, all right, I'm moving to the next one. I'm going to go up and see if I can see any other species up there tonight. And within uh, within just a couple minutes of pulling in, um, he had made it. He, he saw a, uh, a toad, and he was taking pictures of a female toad. And as he was taking the pictures of the toad, the flash went off, and he heard this just massive growl grunt kind of sound that came from just beyond the tree line on the other side of this vernal pool that he was at. And, uh, he, he stood up and was kind of shook by it. And then he heard something moving towards him. And then he made himself scarce and took the additional six back, six steps back to his car that he had just left. And he had a passenger with him as well. 
And this thing yelled at him so loud that it actually vibrated the windows in his car. And the witness, now it wasn't a visual sighting. This is pure auditory. They're they're only experiencing the sound because they're out there like dark 30. That's when all the fun stuff happens with uh, the salamanders and uh, all of your amphibians. So um, he, he gets a hold of me immediately after. I make it out there the next morning. Uh, and I start doing a survey of the, the area. Um, when I was in the Air Force, I was trained in crash recovery and retrieval. Um, so I'm, I'm really good at doing analytics on what I see on the ground. And uh, I've also taught um, tracking classes and all that stuff. So I'm out here and I'm looking at the ground. I'm trying to see where this thing was moving. I see clear disturbance in the leaf litter. And it's reading almost exactly the way his report read. Because, uh, you know, I've got it up on my phone. I'm looking at it and I'm like, OK, he was standing here. And when I was standing exactly where he was standing, I immediately looked over to the other side of the vernal pool and I saw two, two really deep impressions that were going in and they were filled with water. So the sun was hitting them and the light caught it. And I was like, yeah, this is this is just like perfect. Um, I'm in love already. This site is going to be rich. So I start looking around trying to find more evidence. And we found about six, uh, six impressions, two of which were castable. Um, I made casts of those footprints. Uh, I sent those immediately off to um, uh, an investigator, a local West Virginia investigator named Russ Jones. And then we sent them off to uh, Cliff Barrickman. And then the show kind of got involved at that point, and they came out and filmed Finding Bigfoot based off this encounter. Um, but the whole time of John's encounter, he was within 20 yards of this creature. Based off where his, where the photo was taken of him with that toad and the footprints and all that stuff started. And I tracked this thing up. I could see where it went up the mountain. Uh, it went across the creek and up the mountain and I tried following it into the woods as deep as I could, but then just kind of lost, lost its sign. Um, then another one would be a site that we call the Wanberry site. And uh, it's really interesting because it's got historical context to it as well. This, if anybody is familiar and you've been following Bigfoot for any amount of time and you've done any digging into historical accounts, then the Polk Gap monster in West Virginia is going to be a series of 100 plus Bigfoot encounters that you might find yourself remotely familiar with. Um, just because they're they're old historic accounts and they were from the 50s to the 70s and uh, they they called it the Polgat monster. Well, the witness, Beth, was uh, was dealing with some stuff years prior and she had her own personal face to face sighting. Um, and we did a recreation with her and it's all on video. You can go to uh, our YouTube channel and actually watch everything on it as well. Um, cause we went out and did a, a site investigation after her and a friend had actually recorded some, some Bigfoot audio and, uh, she sent it in and I was immediately like, yes, I need to get out there. Like now, where do you live? Uh, are you comfortable with us coming out and bringing a small team? I need to get out there and take a look because there's a chance we could find some evidence. And we went out there and we found um, a few very nice tracks and cast one of them because that's all the plaster I had. So I cast the best of what we could find. 
Um, we also showed some folks in the video that we made of the uh, investigation of stuff that can trick people, like uh, like a bear double step, for instance, which does look like a large like humanoid foot. But if you know what you're looking at, you can evaluate it and see it's a bear. But we came back from that experience with a, uh, a track cast that was 18 inches long. And just the big toe alone, the big toe came out like perfect. And it was three, three and a quarter inches long and two and a half inches wide. Just the big toe. Holy. Crap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Geez. That one was, that one was a trip. So uh, this thing, whatever she has up there is huge. <laughs> and we were actually just up there this past week and we recovered a half of a footprint. We have a really good heel impression and it measures in the same, uh, same measurements as the original Wanberry cast. So we think it's actually the same creature because the heel width is the exact same. The middle of the foot width is the exact same. So we're, we're fairly certain it's the same creature. We just didn't have any toes because uh, Appalachian soil isn't the best casting material and you get, um, you, you get real hit or miss results depending on what kind of ground it stepped on to uh, leave an impression. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's a foot that I don't want to. Uh, I don't think I could follow in those footsteps. Let's just be honest. <laughs> it was it was <laughs> impressive. We were I, we were shocked. Like what's what is the size of the rest of the stuff attached to that foot? Oh, hundred percent. Like I, it, oh based God. off of her sighting, uh, we we evaluated because it, it was leaning and hiding behind a tree, and the head was at seven and a half feet. Good grief. I mean, you know, and and like I said, being being a former college athlete and um, you know being around you know basketball and stuff, I'm not sure the average person, unless you do go to an NBA basketball game, realizes how big that is. Oh yeah, how and, enormous that is. As a, and in a, a basketball game, you're dealing with somebody who's a little bit more lean. Imagine that seven and a half foot linebacker. Well, well, let's let's be honest, okay? For Shaquille O'Neal, while he played to say he weighed three hundred and ten pounds was an absolute lie, okay? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Shaq was probably closer to four hundred pounds. Okay? Yeah, LeBron especially James, at his biggest whenever when he was in his prom and he was like just oh, yeah. jacked. I mean, LeBron James is not two hundred and forty five pounds, okay? Because right. LeBron, I mean, I'm six. Two and I am probably about two fifty-five. So LeBron James at six eight does not weigh ten pounds less than me, but that's what he's listed at. Right, and he's yeah. So I don't think I think it's hard for the average person to really like grasp how big seven and a half foot and five or six hundred pounds would really be. And um, you know, it's just uh, it would be. It would scare you probably if uh, it's one thing to see a human that big, but it's another thing to see something you don't understand or shouldn't be there um, would just be shocking to the point where I could see how you couldn't move. You couldn't think of you couldn't think of anything. That's that's why I think these creatures, even though some some people think they're super, super dangerous and they may be if you get them at the wrong time. This is why I think that they just don't really want to hurt us because they could at any time. 
I oh, mean, absolutely. Do you really think you could have got away from two adults at se- you know seventy yards, even if it was down a hill and up a hill, uh, if they really wanted to get you? No, oh, probably not. No, no. If they if they wanted to get me and they they'd have had their way with me in a heartbeat. Like it it that's yeah. why I just kind of sat there and I was just amazed. You know, these things didn't want anything to do with me. They wanted uh, the opposite of that. They wanted to just, just abandon me and, and leave me alone and get out of there. They didn't want me to know they were there. Now, now going back to that encounter, one of the things that uh, that kind of struck me was it. Any time did you think, what if, is there any more around? Like, is there any behind me? Is there any that I can't see? Um, did that thought ever cross your mind? Or were you just so focused on those that um, that you thought, okay, once they're out of sight, then I'm good and I can get out of here? In the moment, that's what was on my mind, was that once these are out of sight, I can get out of here. In retrospect, when I was sitting in my bedroom that night and I was getting ready to go to sleep, you know, and I'm laying there in my bed, I'm sitting there thinking, man, there could have been like two or three more just beside me. And I'd have had no clue because as quiet as they made their way into the woods, I wouldn't have had any clue if they were beside me or behind me or anywhere else watching me. I I wouldn't have known. So yeah, in retrospect, that was something that has crossed my mind many times. (laughs) So now that, um, now that you're out doing a lot more research and stuff, what, what do you, like, how are you prepared? How have you prepared yourself the next time that you have, a, if you do, if you're fortunate enough to, cause I think it sounds like you, you'd like to have another, uh, oh, absolutely. like, I'd love to what, see it again. What do you, what would you do different this time? What would you attempt to do, or would it just be something where you would just stand quiet and awe and and absorb it, or you know, like like what do you think? Like what what do you think about the next encounter that you that you would do? I mean, I would like to say that I would try to get a picture, but like honestly, uh, I was dumbstruck the first time, and I just sat there in awe. And because at the time my world was also being kind of broken, <laughs> I was like, well, this is a thing now. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I'd like to say that I would do, uh, I'd get a picture or that I would, you know, chase after it and try to, you know, get the best evidence that I possibly could. But at the same time, like I, I would probably just be as awestruck the second time as I was the first, um, it, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think I would just be as, as awestruck. Um, I, I'm not, not going to say one way or the other. I, I would like to think that I would do something like, you know, grab my camera or whatever, because back then, you know, cell phones weren't a thing in 2001. I mean, you could have had a cell phone, but you're wearing it on your hip in a saddlebag. Um, and it's funny to think back on that, that how, how far advanced technology has come since then. But, you know, I, I would like to think I would reach into my pocket, grab my phone and snap a couple pictures. But I don't I don't know. I, it, it would have to happen. I'd have to have to know what would happen after the fact, because to be back in that scenario again would uh, would be amazing. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't think I think everybody can try to be as prepared as they want, but until it uh, until it happens, <laughs> I don't think yeah. you really you really know you know what what that. Uh, but I mean, hey, look, I I hope that you get that chance, you know. And I think if you're going out investigating places where there's recent eyewitness sightings, I mean, that's where they are, you know. Yeah. So. Um, so you want to you want to hear some weird stuff? No, we don't like that stuff. <laughs> yeah, of course. Because I did. I have a note. Like I wanted, I wanted to ask you. So we're talking weird stuff. Like what's weird? What's weirder than a big than these Bigfoot stories? Right. Because I right. do have. So, I do have a specific. I do have a specific subject. I did want to ask you about. All right. Well, let's let's go there first, and then we can delve into the weird, weird, weird stuff. Uh, if it's not tied into that in some way. Okay. So. And I've talked about this with a couple of the guys from West Virginia and how, you know, the hollers, how remote some of those, you know, what they call the hollers are and how yeah. some of them have very little, you know, get very little sunlight and how you could, something could really hide out in some of those places and not be, um, not be discovered or seen. Um, so the one subject that I really am curious about is like the, the Thunderbirds or the flying um, cryptids, like, you know, basically a pterodactyl sort of uh, creature. Is there any stories like that that you've gotten from anybody that they've seen of something flying like that in, in the remote part of West Virginia? Um, we've gotten a few, but the weird part about those stories is that when they saw them flying off, it's almost as if they vanished into the distance. Um so it was, it was really weird. It was like it was uh, almost ethereal, but it breached into this reality for a moment in time and then faded right back out. It's almost like they were seeing maybe like a residual haunting yeah, sort of deal. It, it's, that's what it reminded you of. Like, you know, when they see these apparitions of people yeah. um, and, and, and for haunting, it was very similar to that. Like they caught this brief moment in time where they were able to see this creature. Um, and you know, the ones that, uh, we've had a few of them come in that were like, they gave very like Harryhausen descriptions, which, uh, Harryhausen was a, um, claymation sculpt yeah. back yeah. in the day and, uh, was using very non-scientifically accurate dinosaurs for his sculpting because he was using what was accurate at the time and not like actual, uh, what we know based off of science in in today's world but whenever uh we get these reports of some of these because we've we've only had a handful a couple of them were those harry housing types where it had this like spade tail behind it um which we know wasn't a, a, a real thing so we treat we don't treat it any different we don't think they're making up the story we're just like okay well you saw some kind of really really bizarre creature um but the ones that actually give a uh description of like a pterosaur that is scientifically accurate especially before we have what's scientifically accurate for today those were the ones that really were like okay so you saw you said it kind of looked like had hair 
pin hair on it and then real leathery wings. That's weird. And then a few years later, uh, science catches up and says, oh, yeah, some pterosaurs had like pin feathers <laughs> and leathery wings and are like, OK, well, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yes. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Like, how could they they know what it when it wasn't like something they could have read in a textbook or heard heard yeah. another story about? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I get you. Yep. So that's so, those, so it's those obviously really cool. they obviously they saw something that either resembled that or it was that. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it could either have been like a residual haunt, uh, because energy is never ending. Like you, you can't destroy it. So these creatures yeah. had energy at one point and they were wrapped up in a physical body. Now that physical body is gone, but the energy's still here. Who's to say it's not still in the same form or can't take the same form and appear as, well, as it once did? And we, I mean, I've seen, you know, video of what people suspect are either cats or dogs as spirits. Yeah. So if you got a cat or a dog as a spirit, why couldn't you, why couldn't another animal uh, right. appear as a spirit? Like, know? I swear my house is haunted by a, a little, a little dog, a little yappy dog. Um, my dog hears it. We've got a pit bull and she, she can hear it. We hear it in the house, it's like just random times during the day. Sometimes we'll just hear like this little, uh, little dog sounds like something on the size of a Yorkshire Terrier or a Chihuahua just start going to town in the basement. And I don't have a small dog. I can't stand small dogs. If I'm being completely honest, <laughs> and, you, and uh, bark is one of the reasons why. You're talking to a mailman. My whole day is haunted by little yippy dogs. <laughs> I just got to say. Just imagine gotta that say. in your basement. Random. No, I, I'm sorry. I'd move. <laughs> <laughs> I would move. And no, thank you. There's a reason why we don't have a dog. Because yeah. I just, you know. Not, and again, before everybody goes, oh, my God, he hates dogs. Yeah, I do. hate. No, I do like dogs. Just I don't want to own one. So there you go. <laughs> because yeah, you get to deal with them enough and leave them with all their owners through the day. That's right. It's perfect. It's a perfect way to. It's a perfect way to have an interaction with a dog. That yep. would be somebody else's. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So so hit hit us with some weird stuff. What's some what's all some right. really weird stuff? So uh, a lot of people in the Bigfoot community are um, they're they're flesh and blood, right? Or or yep. apers. Uh, that's also a, like a, a term for them. And then you've got people in the community who are like all about the woo. And the I don't like using the term woo because it feels kind of derogatory. Um, and it's almost as condescending when people use it. But that's that's just the best category we have for it, at least for a descriptor at the moment, uh, until they can come up with something better. Um, I experienced something that was very much flesh and blood right yep um we have also gotten reports that we have gone out on and ron my uh my business partner and research partner he is a 30-year veteran in the ufo research field so he's been doing this for a long time and he uh he's good friends with stan gordon and and so am I. And uh, basically, we've gone out on some reports where they experienced audio phenomena or or had a, a visual sighting. 
and we've been in an area and ron ron much to my chagrin starting out now i'm like yeah okay data is data and the data doesn't care what we think about it um ron brings out these instruments and uh he'll bring a mill meter a tri-field meter and a geiger counter and all this other stuff to a bigfoot report and three occasions now we've we've had all this equipment with us for multiple investigations and of these investigations three of them we've actually gotten very very strange readings like the emf meter will start going bonkers um radio will go out uh the last one that we went out on we actually started getting background radiation so um or not background it was residual radiation so background radiation in west virginia like as a baseline fluctuates between 14 and 22. that's just what our radiation level sets at a, a normal day now for you to establish that you can just go to like the usgs and look up your specific region and you should be able to actually find like what your background radiation level is because our planet emits radiation it's we're constantly being bombarded with solar radiation so it's not unusual so when you hear me talking about that don't freak out like oh no we got radiation exposure it's nothing fatal yet so <laughs> the, um Jeez. We're, we're out there and we have this, uh, we hear this mouth click, right? We hear this like yeah. kind of sound and, um, but it was really loud. And, uh, I was like, Ron, you hear that? We actually got it on audio. And, uh, cause we had our, um, H five running and it captured the audio pretty good. And, uh, then all of a sudden Ron like fires up the Geiger counter, gets it going and we get a base reading we sit there for probably about half an hour and all of a sudden the wind starts blowing we start we start getting these clicking and mouth clacks again and it kind of sounds like uh like something's up above us on the ridge and on both sides like we're surrounded at this point and we're just kind of like well crap now what <laughs> and all of a sudden the geiger counter starts throwing readings of anywhere between 36 and 42. So double what our, our baseline was. And we're like, uh, what do we do with this? So, you know, we obviously, we catalog the data, but why would radiation start going up in an area that had a Bigfoot sighting and we are experiencing what some would refer to as Bigfoot activity. And now we're getting radiation spikes at the same time as soon as the mouth clicks stopped the wind quit blowing and the radiation dropped back to baseline and we didn't get any other activity the rest of the time we sat there so uh i had to reshape my paradigm um a few years ago whenever the first instance we had with this took place because we had a Bigfoot sighting and we went to the sighting report area. We actually found footprints and the footprints were extremely radioactive and the footprints seemed to just disappear. They didn't, there were, there were no trails leading off anywhere. I just saw footprints in this one immediate area. And then there were no footprints surrounding that area. This was the only location that this creature was sighted in. It wasn't seen walking through the area. It was seen standing in the area and then it wasn't there. Like they just thought it took off, but there was nowhere it took off to, but the footprints were radioactive. 
the whole area within a 10 foot radius of, of where all of these uh, foot shuffling took place was radioactive. And it carried a residual radiation point of like 36 to 38 when our background in that area was 12. Um, so it, it, yeah, I mean, those, what do you do with that information when you're, when you're stuck in, in your, your head for a while of being like, well, yeah, this is an undiscovered primate. Now I'm getting all of this data that goes along with it. But what I witnessed personally was a flesh and blood creature. It was doing very flesh and blood things. It wouldn't do anything weird. So I'm left in the conclusion that there is more than one thing occurring out there in the woods. You know, you've seen, you've heard of these uh, reports with orbs, right? Yep. And then you have Bigfoot activity shortly after or around. Mm -hmm. Are they related? Are the orbs what's causing the radiation spike? And we just couldn't see it because we were there during the day. Well, I... You know, having talked with some researchers out uh, from the Skinwalker Ranch, okay, and um, the one the one gentleman's like, look, there there's there has been seen what a what for lack of a better term a portal where they have seen creatures, not Bigfoot, but other creatures step through what appears to be this window to another for how we would describe another dimension okay so you know what if what if the energy that it would take to open that up for maybe bigfoot or whatever creature that you were attributing the bigfoot activity to what if that's the radiation like that's the energy that that is taking for that portal to open up for that creature that that we're calling, you know, we're calling Bigfoot to be able to say, oh my God, here comes some people. I got to get out of here. I got to disappear. Yeah, you know? no, I mean, that's, or, that's plausible. Or, or come, or come back into this world. Or if you want to go UFO, interdimensional UFO type thing. I mean, there's got to be, like, we're talking about the energy. And so how is that energy produced to, to, for the, and I'm using air quotes, vehicle that some something is using to travel back and forth between, let's say, dimensions or like or like to open up that portal. I mean, it, it would take an enormous amount of energy to do that. I think they've already established that. Right. Um, to just open up what a tiny pinhole in like over in France at the. Yeah. You know, when they made this, the warp bubble by accident. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so imagine if somebody had, you know, if another civilization or another uh, intelligent uh, beings have discovered how to do that more uh, efficiently <laughs> with less energy, but still it take energy nonetheless. I mean, maybe that's what's, I mean, I have no idea, it, but I have a, that makes I have a great sense. imagination. I mean, that's the same vein of thought that we're in too. I mean, we're yeah. this this uh, vehicle of transportation, vehicle of appearance, not necessarily vehicle physical, but the mode that it takes to make these things happen, it very well could cause that. Like if you start looking in, um, you know, you mentioned there they weren't Bigfoot, but they were creatures. Mm -hmm. um, if you start combing through Stan Gordon's evidence, where there was this, you know, 
couple year time frame where there was so many UFO and Bigfoot sightings that were taking place like right on top of each other or at the same time. When you look at the physical descriptions of these Bigfoot in air quotes, they're, uh, they weren't what you expect Bigfoot to look like. They, I think it was just the only term they had because, you know, the 1967 footage with Patterson Gimlin, that was fresh in their mind. Everybody had kind of seen that and they're like, oh, well, here's this weird hairy creature. But when you listen to the description, like the arms were dragging the ground, their eyes were glowing of their own volition. They could move by like hovering. Um, none of that measures up to like a flesh and blood Bigfoot sighting. This this looks at something completely different, something that's totally unrelated. But because we don't have a name for it, because we don't have a specific category just for it, it gets lumped into Bigfoot or ufology one or the other when I'd, i'm not 100 percent convinced that it has anything to do with either no and it's hard i mean let's be honest it's hard enough to wrap your head around that there's a bigfoot type creature let alone right. let's start thinking about well there's a dog man and there's a and there's a wendigo and there's a skinwalker and there's uh, maybe a jersey devil and there's maybe all these other type of creatures that have been reported and have eyewitnesses you know but as hard as it is to wrap our head around the government's also come out and said okay yeah we do have ufos right after after how, <laughs> right after how long yeah in in like you yourself said they, even though they didn't come out and say well if you saw a ufo okay don't say anything uh, i mean what else were you gonna see that was unusual like you know what I'm saying? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, while you're out there uh, doing exercises and stuff. I mean, so every time somebody thinks something's impossible, you know, then then we ha we keep finding evidence that it is possible. I mean, and look, you, there's no, like, telling you if it's possible. You saw it. Right. Okay? You, you were right there. You saw it. Okay? I don't. I don't for a second think that you saw some bears and just misidentified them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you did, then your master in, uh, uh, what'd you call Deception. it? No, no, no. I need to be you're, working you're, for the government again. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if you're, uh, the stuff that allows you, you know, that you're, you're going out teaching tracking classes and, and following salamanders, um, along the, uh, along their mating route, you should give back whatever certificate they gave to you. Then if you can't tell the difference between a bear and a Bigfoot from absolutely, I, I agree with that. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, if, I mean, just the fact that you got that, there's a group of people that would go out in the middle of the night and count salamanders is crazy. Oh yeah, um, man. You should hang out with some of those folks. You'd love them. There. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That just like, I, I, that blows my, that almost blows my mind more than, then you have a Bigfoot experience that <laughs> you got a bunch of, a bunch of uh, amphibian geeks showing up out here in, in droves uh, sometimes like upwards of like 15 or 20 people. And they're all spatting off Latin terminology. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. That would be Sounds like I mean, summoning a demon. I mean, the respect for the passion and the drive to do something so specific like that is, I mean, I can't, it's, yeah, it's, I have it. But I mean, to me, on the other hand, it's like, I couldn't tell one salamander from the next. 
you know it's i mean holy smokes but uh but there again somebody that's going out and studying nature like that and can identify things that specifically in the in the minor differences in them those are the kind of eyewitness people that how could you how can you question what yeah, they're you seeing really, because they're you really want detail. those eyewitnesses yeah their eye for detail and taking notes on stuff is unprecedented in nature you know um where the average person wouldn't even pay you know any attention to to it they'd be like yeah it's maybe a to- a toad maybe it's a frog i don't know is it a, <laughs> you know i don't know yeah is it a lizard or is this uh, yeah I mean, I probably have only ever seen two salamanders in my life that weren't in, in a, um, you know, confined area like a zoo or a, um, some kind of exhibit. So, you know, so the average person probably doesn't even have a clue, you know. So, so yeah, those type of people out there being eyewitnesses uh, turn it up a notch for me, for sure. Even if they didn't have a sighting, they know what's going on out there because they're out there um in nature all the time i mean it'd be like somebody doing one of my streets in my mail route and not having a dog bark at them and they'd be like look no there's no dogs barking well no you only went down the street once go down the street every day time and time again and you're going to experience different things and you're going to get used to you know where things are when they happen how they happen and you're just gonna you know anticipate some things too so so yeah, I yeah that kind of eyewitness I, I I really like because uh, you guys all have eye, eyes for detail. And then speaking of eyes for detail, it, it kind of leads us into what you do for do a wild and weird weird West Virginia. Um, as far as like the the stat like the little statues and and stuff like that. You want to tell you want to <laughs> tell everybody how how your experiences and stuff led into that. Yeah, sure. So we, uh, eventually everything kind of came into this point where, um, we were going to these different venues and we were seeing people, uh, meeting people and whatnot. And I had a background in, um, as a chef where, you know, I I was taught how to carve and sculpt in ice and fruit and all kinds of other stuff. Oh, I thought so, you were going to say roast beef. I was, I was oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm I'd carve and up some of those too. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it translated into clay very well. So um, we started making little sculptures and statues, and Ron made made some sculptures, and uh, mostly he he does painting and jewelry and whatnot. But it's all it's all related to witness interpretation and what people have seen in the field and uh also making some really cool collectibles at the same time you know we've we make keychains we make uh, and everything's handmade by us none of it's purchased and brought in it's all made by us uh art prints um paintings uh keychains necklaces statues miniature sculpts um a whole line of ufo scale replica models that you can get um and and giorgio suclos actually has all of our ufos up to date currently uh we've got a few more we got to get out to him but um 
yeah, we just we make some really fun stuff, man, and we we sell it and it funds the research side of what we do. So that way we're not taking as much of a hit out out of pocket. And um, it, it's a good time. We get to meet all kinds of fantastic people. Uh, because of all this, we now host a um, a podcast called Wild and Weird Radio, uh, where people can listen to us and and come on and join us. We we also host um, multiple events every year. We we have a a couple Bigfoot workshops a year where people can come out and we do a full intensive on field work and how to track, uh, how to make your own plaster casts, um, how to use equipment in the field what equipment you want in the field versus what you don't want in the field, um, how to uh, distinguish animal calls. And then at the end of the day, we take everybody out into the field, into a research area that we've we've kind of set up, and we actually make observations. And 99.9% of the time, nothing happens. You, you We hear some weird animals, and that's about it. But you get some uh, some high strangeness that might occur, or you, you actually can have some kind of uh, encounter with an auditory encounter. We had um, one of the folks that came to our workshop last year had actually had a visual encounter the night before in the area that we did the workshop and and was freaked out. It was great. <laughs> and, uh, um, because they had come to the area and they were camping in the area. So then uh, we also host Wild and Weird Con, um, which is a big yearly event. And we've got the Woodbooger Jamboree, which is a, a local community event, free to the public to come and hang out. And uh, it, it, it's turned into this whole big thing. And um, we, we really love that we can give back to the community in that respect. Uh, because we we can make stuff they can put on their shelves and they can help us with research. And then we bring in researchers from around the the united states to come in and help teach them how to do it or just to sit and listen to them um it's a great time we have a blast with it well that's all i mean that's awesome that you are getting to do something you're so passionate about and sort of sort of make a living at it too i mean yeah i mean i think that's everybody knows that's the definition of never working a day in your life is is getting paid to do something you love, you know, Absolutely. and even, and even though it's, you know, not, I don't think the Bigfoot uh, phenomena is making anybody rich. It might make some people rich. Um, it's not making us rich, but, right, right, but, yes. <laughs> but it's, uh, but it is something that uh, a lot of people love and a lot of people, you know, um, I'm sure we'll appreciate the uh, cool stuff that you guys do. So hopefully everybody listening will go, uh, will go yeah. check out the wild and weird West Virginia. Uh, you got a, you got a website yeah. for that. You can find us at wild and weird We actually just launched a forum that everybody can come and hang out and chat to um, there. It's all right there attached to the website. The shop is there. The podcast feed is there, or you can find us any podcast, stuff out there whatever your favorite uh subscription base is you just you know look us up we're there cool i hope everybody goes and uh, at least uh at least goes and checks out the uh the store and yeah uh, i'm sure they can find something i i i looked at some I, I'm, I'm digging the mothman thing i think uh i think we're going to promote the uh, the little mothman character that you uh, had with the big red eyes 
Oh, Moth the, the for Mothman. I, I said to my social media person, they're gonna we're gonna do do it on Mothman Monday. So oh, sweet. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you some better photos. Okay. Yeah. Send me. Yeah. Send me some. We'll put that up. And um, I because I tell you, people love the Mothman. They do. People love Mothman. The Mothman. Is uh, Mothman's a West Virginia staple. I don't trust him, but people love him. <laughs> I'm just gonna just gonna put that out there. <laughs> so, so, but uh, hey, I Joe, I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your experience and telling us a couple other experiences. And I hope everybody goes and checks out um, your website and goes and, and checks you guys out on Wild and, and Weird Radio because it sounds like you probably have a lot of good. Uh, good discussions on there about stuff going on in West Virginia and everywhere else. Yeah, it, it's a good time, man. And uh, thanks for having me on. I've, I've loved it. Um, if you ever want to do something again, just let me know. Definitely. Definitely. I, um, I, I, I like it when somebody says, do you want to hear something really weird? I mean, that's <laughs> really, of that. that really, that really ups the ups, ups the game right there. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll definitely stay in touch because uh, um, I I can't wait to hear some more great stories from West Virginia because like I said, goes without saying West Virginia is wild, wild and weird for sure. So, Absolutely, Ohio's not far behind though. You, you very much are not. We're actually. <laughs> I can uh, be if, honest. If any of your listeners are from Ohio, we're going to be at a uh, the Ohio Bigfoot Conference there uh, at the end of end of this month. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, it, it. Unfortunately for me, it always it's our travel basketball season. And, oh uh, yeah. I run I run a, you know, a girls AAU basketball group here, and we we're always playing through that uh, through that weekend. So I don't even get to go and just hang out and see anybody. So, um, it's, maybe it's better off. Maybe you know. Because it's because sometimes coaching girls uh, basketball is even crazier than uh, no doubt Bigfoot and Lost no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> and I'm not saying that they're they're monsters. Do not put words in my mouth. <laughs> I'm just saying that sometimes it's scary. Now parents, on the other hand, sometimes they're monsters. But there, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but all right, Joe. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, uh, looking forward to uh, to the next thing. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. Stay wild and weird, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, 
Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.